This Week Explained, the independent geopolitical podcast that tackles all the major global events. We're glad you're here as we bring you all the insights and analysis on what's happening around the world. As always, I'm Tiana and I'm here with my co-host, Kervin. Hello. Together, <laughs> together, we'll help you understand the complexities of our dynamic, ever-changing world. So let's get to what's on the agenda this week, Kervin. All right. We've got some uh, Russia-Ukraine conversation that's still going on. Um, but we are also going to talk about how um, Pol- Poland has said they're going to start focusing on themselves and not oh continue. Oh, my gosh. Self-care moment. I Self-care. <laughs> little mental health day. I love a little mental health day. Do it, Poland. We all uh, need to do that more. <laughs> we do. Yeah. Um, that was evident after the weekend that we had. Let's um, get through what's on our agenda, then we can talk about ourselves. Come on. Okay. All right. Um, but then we're going to get I so we're gonna get into what I think was the big geopolitical event of the week, and it was quite quick. Um, yeah. and that is the conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Um, that heated up before it was quickly, uh, water was thrown on it, and they came to a peace deal, but we'll get into the implications of that. Then we're going to get back to um, Africa, because we want to talk more about the coups that have gone on in a few of the African nations, and three of those African nations may be looking to break away from the ECOWAS, the sort of economic uh, establishment between Western African nations. And after that, we're going heavy on talk about China. Um, We've learned over the past few weeks that so far this year, China has sent a record number of planes towards Taiwan. And then after they did that, President Xi came out and said, you know what, guys, U.S. and China need to achieve peaceful coexistence. Words. Yeah, he really said that. I'm personally excited to talk about the Azerbaijan-Armenian complex because it's the kind of geopolitical event that we like to talk about and that obviously, you know, conflict brews sometimes between countries, but it was resolved quickly. Yep. And there was a peace deal, and that's nice. They realized that, you know, maybe they should focus on their people and not just whatever their conflicts is. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Ever. Then let's get started. What is the latest in Ukraine? Yeah, the, the situation in Ukraine obviously remains very complex. Uh, Ukraine's liberation of areas south of Bakhmut may have degraded the Russian defense in that region. That's that's a big deal. Um, because of that, Ukrainian forces continue their offensive actions near Bakhmut, but also in western Zaporizhia. Uh, I did see that the Ukrainian general staff said that Ukrainian forces continued their offensive operations and that they did inflict significant losses on Russian manpower and equipment. As well, Ukrainian forces continue this slow-moving counteroffensive and they're consolidating forces along these newly overtaken front lines. We keep talking about the counteroffensive and Russian attacks on various civilian locations within Ukraine, 
Also, Ukraine is taking the fight to Russia by not only attacking Crimea, but also parts of Russia to include the capital of Moscow. At some point, legitimate peace talks need, like, hopefully, you know, they need to start. So where do we stand on efforts to find a peaceful resolution to the war in Ukraine? Because, I mean, if China is offering to talk to us about a peace deal, (laughs) I think, like, us just move forward peacefully, I think... um, Russia yeah. and, and Ukraine could at least talk about it. <laughs> and and you used a, a key word there because you said legitimate peace talks because both countries are talking separately about what a peace deal should look like. Yeah, um, what they they and they obviously have two very different ideas of what yeah. a peace deal should look like. <laughs> exactly. Now now right now it's still very tense. Um, we've talked about this before. You know, yeah. one side needs to feel like they're winning in order to come to the table and the other side needs to feel like they're not going, there's no chance that they're going to win. And right. That's what's so tough. Uh, recently though, Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky made his first in-person appearance at the UN security council meeting. This, this is his first appearance since Moscow's invasion of the, of his country, Ukraine. Um, now the Russian ambassador objected to him taking the floor. So you see, it's still very tense there that that added to the tension now some nations are urging all parties to come to the to the table and discuss peace because it does affect everyone around the globe uh supply chains economics those kind of things turkey that's one of those countries that is speaking out they want a speedy peace deal so they can you know get back to basically helping their people out in in their economy and stuff like that also, interestingly, former U.S. President Donald Trump, who is currently the front runner as the Republican candidate for president, claims that he has a roadmap for peace in this conflict. He would say that. But um, has he presented this roadmap or is he just, you know, talking like he usually does? <laughs> well, as you said, just as talk, he usually does, talk. it's There's just no talk. outline or anything. Oh, no, okay. uh, just talk. Right. Not that I have seen um, if he if if he does have a peace plan, if he does have a roadmap, he has mm-hmm. it. He knows of it. I don't. I haven't seen it yet. Um, right. And neither has Volodymyr Zelensky because he asked that Trump actually release his plan because he wants to see it. If he has a, a legitimate roadmap for peace, he wants to see the plan. But he did caution uh, that anything that allows Russia to keep the land it has taken from Ukraine during that special military operation right. is a non-starter. Uh, yeah, obviously. I think that it's a good idea for Trump to release this plan. Um, as it would help it, his president. It would help his... Yep. Or, you it, know. Would, it would uh, help to highlight his foreign policy because say what He's you want... still running for president. <laughs> but yeah, and, and say what you want. He was president of the United States. He does understand foreign policy. Right. Does he understand it correctly? That's debatable. I, I don't really have an answer for that, but um, yeah, he does have that experience. Right. Now, I'm I'm led to believe, knowing what we know about a Donald Trump presidency, mm-hmm. that his plan would involve allowing Russia to keep those recently annexed regions. And in his yeah. mind, he's thinking, let's just end this, do away, you know, let Russia do that. And go back to having Ukraine have the rest of their land. 
Uh, but until he releases it, we just don't know what's in it. Well, while the international community still debates parameters for peace in Ukraine, let's discuss this new report out of Poland that they will focus on themselves and stop providing weapons to Ukraine. So what is happening there? Uh, Yes, this week, like you said, Poland decided to halt arms sales to Ukraine. And that was actually, they framed it in a way that was like, we're going to focus on ourselves. But really, the underlying reason is there's a dispute over grain exports. Um, So what happened there was that the European Commission moved to allow Ukrainian grain sales across the European Union. But some of the the countries in the European Union are a bit upset, and they blocked those imports to protect their own farmers. So how does this impact the Poland-Ukraine relations? Well, the, the grain dispute between Poland and Ukraine has it's had a significant impact on their bilateral relations. Um, as we see, Poland decided to, to halt those arms sales. Um, and so this is straining the friendship between the two countries even more. The The, moon, the move is seen as a significant setback for Ukraine because it's been relying on Polish arms supplies to support its military operations against Russian-backed separatists in the east of the country. Right. Um, additionally... President Zelensky's criticism of not only Poland, but other countries like Hungary and Slovakia, who also came out opposed to this grain deal, has further complicated the situation. Uh, Another aspect of this event, and I think really what's causing this friction, is that Poland is currently in the midst of an election. Oh, okay. The current leadership needs to demonstrate its commitment to defending Poland, while also they have to show people that they're going to support Ukraine because on the Western, in a Western mindset, we need to support Ukraine. So they do need to still show that um, because of those aggressive actions from Russia, because they understand yeah, they're in Russia's crosshairs. So they yeah. could be one of the next countries. Uh, it's, I, In my analysis, it's highly prob- probable that this issue could influence public opinion and political discourse in Poland. That's why they're they're starting to talk about this. The grain fight and its consequences may become a topic of discussion during the election campaign, and you'll see different political parties offering their perspectives on the matter. Right now, it remains to be seen how this dispute is going to shape the political landscape in Poland. Well, I'm sure we will talk plenty about the upcoming elections in Poland in future episodes. We've got lots of elections to get through in the coming year. So let's get into what became the major geopolitical event of the week. And that is Azerbaijan's counterterrorism offensive against Armenia. This has been brewing for quite a while and even made your list of the top five potential conflicts to watch out for in 2023. So what can you tell us about the situation and where do we stand right now? Yeah, let's uh, let's dive right into it. So early this week, Azerbaijan's military launched what it called, uh, they want to quote them on this, localized anti-terrorist measures in Nagorno-Karabakh. And that was after landmines killed both soldiers and civilians. Now, Azerbaijan accused Armenian separatists of the deaths of those soldiers and civilians, but Armenia denied that they had any involvement in it. So this mission's goal is to, or it was to disarm Armenian forces and protect ethnic Azeris. Uh While Armenia has said 
they don't have any troops in the region, so there's no reason to do this. It was very, it was a very significant development. Um, it caught a lot of people by surprise, uh, but very quickly there was a peace deal struck. Now, under the agreement, separatist forces are going to have to disband and disarm, paving the way for talks on the future of the region and the ethnic Armenians that are living there. Now, Azerbaijan says it's going to take full control of the Nagorno-Karabakh region. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be something that holds up future peace in that region because they're looking to integrate around 120,000 ethnic Armenians into its society. Oh, wow. that That's quite a transition. Yeah. How did Armenia respond to these events? Well, very interestingly, Armenia did not intervene militarily at all they're, during this. Well, they're saying, they're like, we didn't have any troops there yep. and we're not going to intervene militarily because we don't have any troops there. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're accusing Azerbaijan of attempting to ethnically cleanse the region. And that's something that Azerbaijan right now denies doing. Well, the situation definitely appears to be quite complex compared to that little blurp in the beginning whenever you were talking. <laughs> oh, so how, yeah. does, how does this development impact the current geo- geopolitical landscape? Oh, I mean, like you said, it's very complex. So it has several implications uh, for the region, but it also has some implications on a global level. First, it, it marks a significant shift in power dynamics as Azerbaijan gains control over that Nagorno-Karabakh region. Um, it also raises questions about the future of ethnic Armenians that are living in the region. They're going to want to continue to live in their house. Um, of course. But then do they have to say, you know, do they have to integrate into Azerbaijani society? And kind of abandon their own culture? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's what, they're very worried about that um, because... They definitely shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. I As two types of yeah. people with... with right. You know, two different belief systems and and all of this stuff. So, like I said, very complex. Yeah. Uh, but the conflict has also drawn attention from the international community due to its potential impact on regional stability. Okay. So we've already got aggressive actions by Russia, and they're playing a role in trying to achieve peace between Azerbaijan and Armenia. So they're like two different fronts. Right. Um, now, while there is a peace deal in place, this is not the last that we're going to, even this year, that we're going to be talking about the Nagorno-Karabakh region. <sighs> well, yes, obviously, the former Soviet Union is a hotbed for geopolitical activity lately. And speaking of hotbeds for geopolitical activity, it appears that the Sahel region in West Africa is making a lot of headlines. Mm-hmm. So what is the latest going on there? Yeah, so... Right. We've talked, we've had a lot of discussions about West Africa recently mm-hmm. because of the various coups happening in those countries. All the coups. All the coups. Um, this week, military leaders of Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso have established a security alliance called the Alliance of Sahil States, or AES. Awesome. I'm glad they're working together. They want to work together to defend and assist each other in the event of rebellion, insurgency, or external aggression. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's um, it's work. Let's work on ourselves, and no one's going to help you out if you don't help yeah, yourself out, right? Exactly. You got to look for yourself. Exactly. So, 
Is this alliance in conjunction with the economic community of West African states, or does it intend to break away from that alliance? Well, if you remember those three countries, all of which are dealing with military takeover of their governments, all of all three of them, they are concerned with the actions from the ECOWAS or the Economic Community of Western African States. Uh, Burkina Faso and Mali have recently responded to the threat by the ECOWAS to intervene militarily in Niger by warning that any such operation would be deemed and and listen to these words because you'll you hear it across a bunch of nations around the globe. Yeah. Uh, any such operation, any such attack on Niger would be deemed a declaration of war against them. Oh, yeah, we have heard those sequence of words yes. quite frequently. <laughs> so how significant is this AES alliance? Well, it, it holds immense significance for the Sahel region. Uh, they have a charter. The charter outlines oh. the, the goals of the alliance, which include okay. um, combating terrorism, ensuring the sovereignty and territorial integrity of the member countries. So mm-hmm. those are the two things they want to focus on. And it shows that those countries no longer desire what would be deemed Western help in combating terrorism. Well, it's common knowledge that the Sahel region continues to be plagued by jihadist violence. But how does this alliance address security challenges? Yeah, so the AES seeks to address security challenges collectively as opposed to... Together. Yep. So uh, uh, what what used to happen was each country was focused on themselves and their own borders um, I think they're look they're understanding that's not working. Uh-huh. So by joining forces, uh, Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso aim to enhance their capabilities in combating terrorism. And I would say focusing on that is would maintain stability in the region. Okay, well, I have another question. In this new little club they have going mm-hmm. on here, um, are they all on equal footing or is there a leader between all three? Because for the most part, whenever you see these groups, there are clear, obvious leaders that all the other countries defer to. So in this situation, are they just all on an even keel? Like what? what so right it? now, mm-hmm. what it looks like because they use collectively a lot. Yeah, that's why That's why I yeah. was thinking maybe they now, could be doing this a little differently. It's what, starting what, out. Okay, shot, Tiana, let him answer. <laughs> what it, but what happens in, in countries that are what we would used to call third world countries or emerging countries. Emerging economies. Emerging economies is that... Um, a lot of times, a lot of things are brought up with good intentions, mm-hmm. and then because they don't have an established economy, um, and because you know security in the region is uh, is all over the place and it's not stable, that someone comes in and decides to take the lead, and commandeers everything. Com- yep, and then further destabilizes the region. Well, I hope that doesn't happen because yep. it, it, it seems kind of cool that they're like all showing up together and they're all equal and there's no clear leader. Because in yeah, those cause... situations, I think the whole point, like whenever you join a group like that, you're supposed to all you all agree. Uh, well, supposedly you all agree with the same things. And so you should be going into it together equally. Mm-hmm. You should. Yeah. And and listen. 
Okay. The, the U.S. has been there for over a decade. Been where? Fighting in, in the Western Sahel, fighting terrorism, okay. right? right? In It's a counterterrorism campaign. Yeah, you've been going there for a while. Right. Well, and, to go there. <laughs> and so I think the leaders there and definitely the people there are looking at it and going, what has that gotten us? Right. Because we're still struggling with all of this stuff. Um, so I, I think that has a lot to do with animosity towards the West, towards France and the U.S., that mm-hmm. they haven't really, I can say we have achieved a lot in the work that I have participated in. We got right. rid of a lot of um, of terrorist organizations there. I do think that um, if not done correctly, this could invite more terrorist organizations to infiltrate those countries. If it um, becomes unstable. Yes. But okay. if, if they work on the collective and if the work is indeed for the citizens and for the security of the countries, it could work very well if they if they pull all of their resources together. Right. Okay. Well, fingers crossed that's how it yep. goes. Well, I mean, it's interesting that this alliance comes at a time when the three countries are facing internal political crises and strained relations with international partners. So how does this impact the current geopolitical landscape? Yeah, I mean, all of the, just like I said, all the political crises, all the strained relations with international partners adds complexity to the geopolitical landscape. Uh, This alliance to me, when I'm analyzing it, could open the door for more involvement from Russia and China in a region dominated by Western partners like France and the U.S. So while publicly the group has stated uh, they want to bring stability to the region, there could be unintended consequences because of the current state of affairs between the, the global West and the global South. Well, do you think the AES would be looking to align even more with Russia and China? because of that and if so what does that look like yeah there's no doubt in my mind that things if things stay the 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 way that they are Mm -hmm. and those those juntas remain in power they will be increasing their relationship with russia and china that's that's what they want to do if you remember we saw uh before the coups russia had a presence within the militaries in those african nations Mm mm-hmm um, so what does that mean for the geopolitical future of the Western Sahel? It means right now the West is out. Okay. We're ushering in a new era where China and Russia establish military bases. Uh, right now, the U.S. has moved their military operations from the capital, Niamey, to the- that place. I did. Um, and they're moving to the air base that I was totally against in Agadez. Uh, so where's that one? It's uh, it's a little further east. Okay. Of I don't, Niamey. I don't remember the It's name in the middle of nowhere. Oh, well, is that why you were against it? Yeah, a lot a lot of that is because <laughs> I like some creature comforts that Niamey had. Um quite a few restaurants <laughs> that I got to know the owners and um and and it was just good to be involved with the people within Niame, this would have taken us away, put us in on a military base, a U.S. base, away from the people. Yeah, only focused on the counterterrorism mission. Right. Um, I like to be involved with more humanitarian kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So the U.S. has okay. resumed their ISR mission. 
since the coup happened in Niger. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it out of that base in Agadez. Okay. Um, if the U.S. was asked to leave completely, that would be a probable start for building what I would call it a Sino-Russian, like a Russia-Chinese military base. Okay. And they would try to utilize any supplies left behind by the U.S. military. Well, since you brought up China's increased involvement in Africa, let's focus on the recent surge in China's military activity near Taiwan. Um, Taiwan's defense ministry reported that China has sent a record number of military aircraft towards Taiwan this year. And so what does that mean? What's going on there? Yeah, so that increase near Taiwan is certainly a matter of concern for regional stability. Uh, In 2021, the People's Liberation Army sent 972 flights towards Taiwan. As of September of this year, 2023, 1,268 military flights have been sent. And we still have a few months to go. Right. Now, Taiwan has tracked 103 Chinese military aircraft entering its air defense identification zone, with 40 crossing the median line in the Taiwan Strait. Now, these actions have raised tensions and then prompted Taiwan to call China's actions, quote, continuing military harassment, end of quote. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're warning against these increasing, increasingly aggressive actions from China, which are causing tensions. Um, well, we know that China is becoming increasingly more aggressive towards Taiwan. But why has China been increasing its military presence near Taiwan? Yeah, that increased military presence serves multiple purposes. Uh, like we so, changed our map. Now we're <laughs> <laughs> changed our map. We'll put our military there. Yeah, we we're do good. What we want. <laughs> you know, there was a there was a time way back when where you just planted a flag and the land was yours. Yeah, you don't live in that time anymore, G. Sorry. No, you can't just plant a flag anymore. So you have to the do. People, the people also need to agree, kinda. Yeah, you, that's and that's what we're having. Obviously, they don't have to agree because <laughs> the people of Ukraine do not agree with what's going on in their country right now. But well, if you hold a gun the to their head, <laughs> the ideal conditions would be like, yeah, sure, we'd love to. <laughs> right. So be, that's that's great to bring up because by increasing military activity, China aims to wear away Taiwan's military equipment and personnel. As they assert dominance. Wear away? What does that mean? Wear they're, away their they, military equipment? They're not using the equipment against China. They they're are using some them. of it. So oh, they are? They, they are using <gasps> oh, some equipment. Well, um, they should know that this is just like, this is them not bluffing, but just trying to force their hand. And they're not trying to do anything. They want Taiwan to pull the trigger first so that they can... Yeah. And it's it's a double edged sword because it's like right. you know the boy who cried wolf. Um, you you go you do it enough times, and then the town becomes a lax, and the wolf finally comes. Oh, that like, way you don't know when they're actually serious when right. they're actually going to. Oh, okay, so that's why they are using some of their military equipment because it's because they aren't sure whether or not this is it. This is when China is going to invade us. Yep. And, and you'll okay. see that a lot in like the use of drones and, and right. so we're not talking about like missiles and ammunition being fired, but okay. you're, you're putting wear and tear on military equipment that normally would just be used for exercises. Okay. Now we've discussed on multiple occasions that President Xi from China, his one plan is to reunify Taiwan with China 
either peacefully or through force. So these aggressive actions don't necessarily mean that they're going to do it by force because it could just be a a measure to pressure Taiwan to cave and -hmm. then peacefully reunify. So if you, you know, I've been reading the uh, um, Sun Tzu's. Yeah. Art of War. Um, Art of War, yeah. You okay? And, yeah, sorry, I had a Mitch McConnell moment there for a second. Oh, Mitch McConnell moment. <laughs> um, and that's the first thing that is taught in the Art of War is to you. you Where want, your well, no, you want to take, yeah. you want to win without ever mm-hmm. going to war. Oh wow! Okay. And so, so that is, I mean, that is doctrine in right. China. And that's what they're trying to do right now. Um, they w- they would love to do it peacefully. Mm-hmm. They know that's not going to happen. Um, and some they analysts leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, some analysts believe that that China's recent surge in flights is aimed at pressuring Taiwan to even develop weaker ties with the U.S. Because if the U.S. says we're not going to help, we're not going to do anything. Um, that sets up for an uncontested takeover of the island of Taiwan. Well, I mean, you've mentioned previously that a war with China is not inevitable right now, but we are getting pretty close to that situation. For the listeners, can you kind of explain what the precursor to an invasion would look like or what the people should be keeping an eye on as a precursor? Yeah, so an invasion? it's going to sound um, a lot like what we saw with Russia leading mm-hmm. up to the invasion of Ukraine. So if you... Stationing military on the border. There you go. So it's going to be tens of, tha- tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of troops along the border. So more than Russia. <laughs> well, they have a lot more than, than Russia. They just yeah. have a lot more people. Yeah. Um, this troop movement would likely be picked up by um, government intelligence officials. It's also, just like with Russia, Ukraine, going to be picked up by open source analysts. And so you'd start seeing that, and then that's going to trigger countermeasures from the U.S. Okay. And you'll start seeing uh, news out of the Pentagon that the U.S. is setting up for something. uh, And that's going to be the preparation of U.S. defense forces. Okay. And what happens if china decides to go for it just just quit talking about it just do it all right so the the invasion uh if if an invasion continued and this is despite defensive measures by taiwan and the us those deterrents we talked about the last couple of weeks right um what china is going to do would likely involve a combined amphibious and airborne assault operation and that was that be to cross the Taiwan Strait to reach mm-hmm. Taiwan shores. They want to put troop put boots on the ground in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Now, this operation would be very complicated. It would it would need to be highly organized. That's why, you know, as as intelligence professionals, we see it leading up to it because you you don't just one day decide, hey, let's just go do it. You know, it's not 200 BC where we can just throw a bunch of horses and. There's always the the element of surprise because obviously there's no communication. Right. <laughs> like, you might have some you scouts never know, out you there never or something. Know, you never know what's coming, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, the the assets involved are going to be very vulnerable to attacks by the U.S. Um, because it's highly organized. So 
China would have already telegraphed their intentions. So then the U.S., who's already got a bunch of, you know, naval vessels and, and air force out there, they, they'd already be viewing it. Now, once on the ground in Taiwan, Chinese forces would then face rocky terrain, um, densely populated urban areas, but also a population that's willing to fight against China. We talked about this. It's at like above 70 percent that the Taiwanese people still want to remain Taiwan. They don't want the reunification. That's a population willing to fight. I'm honestly just kind of curious how China plans to do this and still uh, like it has to be a surprise, obviously. Right. Like the world is hyper aware of what China's attention intentions are for Taiwan. Like everybody knows it's the worst kept secret in geopolitics. So I, I just I just wonder how they plan on executing this without everybody knowing and, you know, manning their stations and getting every I just I, I think it comes down to Xi asks his military for a plan that mm-hmm. they believe would be successful even without the element of surprise. Can we uh, okay. overwhelm the island of Taiwan, who's even being supported by the U.S.? If, right. if the U.S. were to support, how could we overwhelm the island of Taiwan? And that's So surprise what, isn't even something that they're... No, they're not. I mean, obviously that would be an ideal scenario, but in this day and age where everybody records everything, makes note of everything, news happens in microseconds. Yeah. Kind of hard to do that. And obviously because we are, because, you know, obviously Russia started stationing their troops along the borders before they, you know, went into Ukraine, we know this is, this is a chip that's been played before. We. Yep. Fool me once. Shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. Uh, what did George W. Bush say? I don't know. Fool me once, uh, fool me again, <laughs> never again. Uh, he just had a <laughs> very really confusing time with it. Did he really say that? It was something along those lines. He couldn't He couldn't get it out. I miss that guy a lot. You, you missed uh, him. <laughs> <laughs> ah, all right, let's get back to it. Well, I, I, just no. what I, I was saying was that any, any invasion... Because they can't be secretive. Right. It's going to be a long and challenging endeavor. Right. Okay. Well, you did mention that Chinese forces would be vulnerable to U.S. military attacks. But are we sure that the U.S. will get involved? And how exactly would the U.S. respond to an invasion of Taiwan? So, as of secret or obvious? (laughs) As of today, September of 2023, um, the the U.S. remains committed to the defense of Taiwan under the Taiwan Relations Act. So we have the one China policy, which is what we say publicly, which says everything is China, blah, blah, blah. But we also have a Taiwan Relations Act. That means we are committed to the defense of Taiwan. So in the event of an attempted invasion, the U.S. would be obligated to come to Taiwan's defense. That's why I said as of today, September 2023, because all that can change um the the detection of significant troop movement by china would trigger the u.s to initiate countermeasures and then prepare its defensive forces as a deterrent uh with the tipped off u.s military in place they'd be ready to defend taiwan this is why you see the challenges for china to successfully execute 
the invasion um, across the Taiwan Strait, those challenges are going to multiply exponentially. (laughs) Well, you keep bringing up how difficult this is going to be for China. And from the way you broke it down, it does seem that it will take quite an effort. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that is why China has begun to talk publicly about peaceful coexistence (laughs) between the U.S. and China. They want us on their side. They're trying to sway us. (laughs) Yeah, or they're they're trying to bluff. Um, Yeah. We'll see. That could also be it, too. (laughs) But, I mean, it could could be an indicator because China's population is aging. Its economy is not in a good place. Every country relates to that right now. And it's, it's fractured some of Xi's absolute control over the government. If he cannot improve the economy and the people's, you know, life, livelihood, they're mm-hmm. going to revolt. That's how revolutions are started. Right. Um, so this call for stable and peaceful ties um, also follows a series of meetings and talks between U.S. and Chinese officials. So it's not a one-off thing. It's not just Xi saying it. Um, mm-hmm. so that's another indicator. And it could be aimed at reducing tensions. Because they're starting to restore. So we're seeing the restoration of communication channels we haven't seen in decades. That's kind of awesome. That is, yeah. It, talking can be a good thing. Right. Um, this this includes contact between the two militaries. Now, for for many years, the two military, the, t- the top generals of each military have said they've never talked to each other. That's yeah. concerning. Right. So it's, it's, not, a, like I said, it's not a one-off comment. Um, but I haven't seen any additional indicators that would make me think that Xi has moved his 2025 plan for Taiwan reunification to a later year. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's something that we're going to keep an eye on and we're going to keep talking about. So how significant do you feel is President Xi's call for peaceful and respectful relations between China and the U.S.? Well, the recent statements... Um, by Xi, like I said, coupled with the series of meetings and talks between U.S. and Chinese officials to me, it really does suggest a willingness to engage in dialogue and find common ground. Um, my, my issue is, are we going to find things that we can compromise on? And is China going to find things that they can compromise on? Um, it could be that the U.S.'s plan to deter China is by strengthening its alliances in the Indo-Pacific, and that plan is maybe working. Maybe mm-hmm. China's seeing, hey, we're overmatched with all of these alliances that the U.S. is making. I do think, though, that Xi's playing, he's paying very close attention to the upcoming U.S. presidential elections before <laughs> he commits to whether he's going to be more aggressive towards Taiwan. Of course. Well, do you think China has a preference for who they would like to see elected in 2024? Well, they certainly don't want Donald Trump as so they president want dementia again. Jo- they want dementia Joe? I mean, anything but, but Trump, and that's not me saying my opinion on Trump or not. Right, it's, right, right. It's during his administration. Mm-hmm. He had a very anti-China agenda, and for good reason. He, yeah, so he he pro- was very vo- he was always vocal yeah. about every which you know what you gotta hand it to him most presidents aren't that brutally honest right I mean that's what people some you know voters that's what people that are, are claiming that's what they want yep and well 
He brought but he that. also was trying to change all the laws to where he could be president indefinitely and stuff. Yeah. So, so you, there's some give and take there. Yeah. Um, now, recently, he's proposed if he's president, right? Um, this are these are propositions against China, and why I'm saying absolutely, Xi does not want Donald Trump as president. Um, okay. So he proposed universal baseline tariffs with China, okay. uh, revoke China's what we called most favored nation trade status. He's also proposed phasing out all Chinese imports of essential goods into the U.S. Then we'll have nothing here. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, in a war with with China, we're going to face that exact same problem. That's true. That's true. Thank you for bringing me back (laughs) to reality. Well, (laughs) another thing that we'll see in a war with China, but I think U.S. companies... Um, and and very public organizations like the NBA mm-hmm. would uh, would not like is um, Trump has proposed barring U.S. companies from investing in China. So really? some you know there's billions of people to reach out to in China to purchase things, and so if a business can't right. establish there, they're going to be a little cautious about that. He's also banning wants to ban china from buying u.s farmland which i agree with i don't think china should be buying u.s farmland to do as they will mm-hmm. and he also wants to revoke federal contracts to companies that outsource to china now that's okay. another thing that i really am in in favor for if you are a u.s federal contractor mm-hmm. as a company you should not be outsourcing to any different country. It doesn't make any sense. That seems like a freaking security issue. Yeah, yeah it's 100% a security and issue. And I, I do agree. No country should be buying the land of another country. For any purposes. Of another country. For any purposes. That makes no sense at all. None. Now, also, mm-hmm. Mr. Trump is, I think, unpredictable. I think I yeah. can say that confidently and nobody can be upset with that. Yeah, you're unpredictable. Not being, yeah, he is. He's a wild card, one might say. Yes, he is the wild card. But he, he's not he, he's the he's under he's under um Kim Jong un though. He's right. He's a he's a wild card with some checks and balances. With some checks and balances, yeah. Um so with that in mind, it isn't necessarily true that he's gonna agree to US support for Taiwan. In the event China invades, he could just say that's your problem. Um, he's he's seen as more of an isolationist. Yeah, doesn't want to get in. He this is what he campaigned on. He doesn't want to get involved in foreign wars because he wants to be the new Kim Jong Un. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if anybody <laughs> wants to do that. But. No, he went. No, I'm saying like he wants to be able to run the country indefinitely. He wants to, like anything he says, he doesn't want it to be held against him. He doesn't want to face any repercussions for any actions he may have taken or anything he may have said or anything he may have, I don't know, hidden in his golf course. I think you just described every person running for office in the United know, States right of now. America. Yeah. What are we doing just with ourselves, listen to guys? Me and don't ask me questions. And also, everybody needs to listen to Mitt Romney and like freaking retire just and let the youngins but yeah but not too young um but not too young 39 year olds <laughs> oh, that's an interesting choice of age that you chose there yeah 
Um, it'll be 40 in December. I'll change it to Shut 40. Shut your mouth hole. Uh, but getting back to, to Trump. Now, Trump gets a lot of flack for involvement with Russia, right? He's seen as a pro-Russia yeah. candidate. Right. I can tell you right now, it was his administration that provided military support to Poland when they viewed Russia as being very aggressive towards them. So mm-hmm. he does have a history of providing military support towards aggressive actions. Okay. So then they would want another four years of Sleepy Joe Biden? I mean, I don't think they want that now. They probably did in 2020. Okay. Uh, but President Biden has been more outspoken now against China and their aggressive actions. He sent high-level officials to engage with Taiwan. Um, the China has not liked that. We've discussed that multiple times. You know, the, the spy plane. Uh, so The so police stations in New York City. Police stations. So China's become more aggressive towards the U.S. I think those aggressive actions even recently have changed the Biden administration's feelings towards the CCP. Now, I don't necessarily think there's a candidate that China wants over one other candidate, but I could see a situation that uh, that China's keeping an eye on, and, and that's whether or not there's going to be a peaceful transfer of power in the U.S. You know, something like what happened in 2020 would be a win for China. Well, can you expand a bit on that? What is China hoping for? Well, I think they'd love another January 6th type event. Yikes. Um, yeah, that would not be good for the U.S. It would put the focus in the U.S. more on domestic issues. I'd say the wrong domestic issues because it's just about fighting between two political parties. Mm-hmm. So then at that point, an invasion of Taiwan may go under the radar. Uh, now, I reiterated on on several occasions, we've, we've talked about this all the time. Next year is going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. You've got major, multiple major global powers holding elections that could very well change the entire geopolitical landscape. And it's very difficult to predict what people are going to do. It's be difficult to predict what the future is going to look like once we get to 2025. Right. So that's why it's important that we're talking about this stuff and and being informed on what's actually happening and, and what could happen in the future with these topics. Um, and that way you can plan on an individual level for multiple contingencies. Well, thank you, Kervin. Is that all for this week? It is not. We have something else we right. want to talk about. Right. Let's get to it. So October is our two-year anniversary. As a podcast. As a podcast. As a podcast couple. <laughs> as a podcast couple. Look at us. We're like a podcast power couple. <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, oh, my gosh. What is wrong with me? I don't we, we have uh, 100% of this podcast and the people involved in this podcast probably thought mm-hmm. uh, the one year was the limit and we wouldn't yeah. make it to two years um, but we did it and I really thought I would just be like no <laughs> no, no I'm not doing it um, I'm not doing it anymore and and it's a it's actually a honestly a testament to the friendships we've made through the podcast mm-hmm. and the engagement that we've had with multiple people Right. So what we're getting to is we are going to have a special episode like we did last year because we are not creative and can't go (laughs) beyond what we know. So (laughs) what we're saying is if you have any sort of geopolitical questions that you want to ask, you can send them send them in 
We're going to be posting on Instagram and asking for questions. And eventually we will get to answering all of them for all of you guys. And it can be personal questions. It doesn't have to pertain to geopolitics. You can ask something silly if you want. I don't have a question right off the top of my head, but you do because you have time to think about it. Yeah. And and yeah, it could be personal. If it's too personal, you won't have your question read. But um, if we're really close and you had a personal question, I may respond to it personally. Personally, one-on-one, together. We, we would really love all of your questions. We um, would, now that we have, because obviously last year, whenever we had our one-year anniversary um, episode, there were far fewer listeners um, that we could pull questions from. They did an excellent job of filling up that hour of time, by the way. Uh, but we have more people now, and we'd like to hear from you, or you can tell us a story about yourself, too. We'd like to hear about um, you guys, so... Just reach out. We're here. Or if you have a personal story of how the podcast helped you do something on a geopolitical level, prepare for something. Uh, I'm or, not asking no. for smoke to be blown <laughs> up anybody's butts. <laughs> I'm just saying you can just ask a question or whatever. I don't know. If we come up with something more creative, we probably won't. But, or if you have any ideas, if there's something you would like to see for our anniversary oh, episode, yeah. I don't know why I didn't think about that. Let us know. We'll try to try to. <laughs> hey, you you put the suggestion out. We'll work on it. Yeah. So we're going to be posting on Instagram and um, asking It'll... for input. And you guys, we will figure it out. We'll figure it out. We got yeah. some time. It'll be also be in, in the newsletter where you can click send an email. Um, right. Yeah. And that's all I've got now. Do you have anything? <laughs> Uh, no, I gotta go make some biscuits. Mm, always dinner time. Always dinner time when we're recording, and I am doing what Malon says that I'm not making them sweet potato biscuits. I will just make the plain old buttermilk biscuits. Mm, they're both good. I know. <laughs> Anyways, um, thank you so much for listening to this podcast and staying with us sticking with us for two years that's quite a feat we hope that you found it both informative and engaging if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes please let us know and if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more follow us on instagram at oakland analytics tiana thank you so much and until next week stay safe out there